I'm ready. Okay. Let's go. Let's go. Okay, so we're here with Amanda Roosing and Aaron Streeter. Um, so first, right off the bat, will you guys just give us uh, a little introduction of each of yourselves? Um, you know, what's your name? What's your title? And what exactly is it that you do for ARMA? Hello, my name is Amanda Roosing. I'm the Government Relations Director for ARMA. In my role as Government Relations Director, I uh, take the lead on our strategy and implementation for ARMA's uh, legislative agenda at the state legislature. We do work a little bit on a federal level, but we are primarily active on a state level. My name is Erin Streeter. I'm the Deputy Director of Government Relations at the Arizona Medical Association. In my role, I assist Amanda in everything advocacy related for our physician members of Arizona. That includes advocating at the state legislature and even some formal communications with our federal government. So wonderful. Thank you guys for introducing yourselves. And uh, just for our audience, I'll let them know that um, this was Amanda and Aaron's first session with ARMA, and they did a fantastic job. And they're really making sure that physicians are well represented at the Capitol, um, and they just do tremendous work. So we're excited to see everything that comes up in the next session um, with them you know, at the forefront and fighting for our members. So we'll segue right now um, into the matter at hand, which is the state budget for fiscal year 2023, which was signed into law not all too long ago. Um, and so just to start off kind of foundationally, will you guys broadly tell us um, what you can about the process of our state budget? You know, maybe starting off, first of all, what what is the state budget um, and where does all of the money come from, you know, that we're allocating every year? The state budget is the spending plan for the entire state of Arizona. It covers everything from the state agency budgets and, and their uh, spending for the year to roads and freeways, to health care, um, to paying down state debts. Um, anything that you can imagine, the state budget probably touches on. Uh, as far as where does it come from, it comes from you, the taxpayers. We are... Um, a state that is heavily reliant on TPT, which is commonly known as sales tax. So a good portion of our state budget does come from your sales tax and also, you know, your other taxes as well. So with such a broad scope of what it pays for, it's obviously a very big job, um, you know, to parse out what the budget's going to look like each year. So can you kind of touch on, I mean, where and when does the process of determining the state budget begin? Who's taking the lead in doing that hard but necessary work? I would say that's a year-long process, actually. Um, the budget planning for next fiscal year has already begun now. Um, and a lot of that is contingent upon the revenues that the state is receiving, which is something that's monitored throughout the year. So um, throughout the course of the year, state lawmakers will hear update, updates from um, state budget staff and hear about how much is coming in so they'll have a better sense of what they're going to have to use when it comes time to make these decisions. The, um, the formal process is led by the Appropriations Committee in both the House and the Senate. It's kind of made up of more senior members in both chambers, as this is kind of considered one of the most important and influential committees. The Appropriations Committee will meet throughout the legislative session to hear different spending ideas and concepts, but the actual budget isn't typically began until March. I would also like to mention that the governor plays a heavy role in 
deciding what the state budget is. Because the House and the Senate could ultimately agree on what they see as an idea spending package, but the governor ultimately has to sign the budget package before the next fiscal year. So the governor also plays a heavy role in deciding what goes into the state budget package. And you kind of got it. Our next question, um, you know, we're curious about who's involved in the process. And obviously our state's lawmakers and the governor and a number of other government officials are the usual suspects that um, are involved in this process. Outside of the government officials that are typically part of the process, I mean, can you name some of the other actors that are involved maybe in a less formal role? Um, you know, I think I think ARMA could be in that category, um, but are there others as well who are typically year to year also part of the process? Yeah, the uh, business community is very influential. Um, essentially, anybody that has a lobbyist and a voice down at the legislature is going to have some kind of influence over the budget process, just because, as I mentioned before, it is so broad and it impacts so many things. And there's so many opportunities to have projects funded. Um, now, it, it could come down to, let, let's say you own a trucking company. Um, you would maybe want to advocate for more spending on our roads and freeways. Um, obviously, like we all know what we're, our priorities are for healthcare. We can touch more on that later. But um, anybody that cares about what's going on in our state spending um, has an opportunity to weigh in and, and almost all groups do. I mean, can you go in depth a little bit more? Um, you know, if you were in the truck lobby, you know, who would you go to? Who are you going to work with to kind of get what you want in the budget? Well, what I do is identify a legislative champion, somebody that is going to personally care about your issue, somebody perhaps that has a personal connection to it down at the legislature. So you have somebody that's really going to push for your issue when it comes down to it. Um, but of course, at the same time, you're also going to be meeting with all of the members of the Appropriations Committee and especially focus on the chair chairman or chairwoman and make sure that they're on board with what you want. There's a lot of different ways to get this done, but I think getting as broad of a base of support as possible for whatever your uh, spending proposal is, is a key to success. That makes me think, you know, we should take it back here a step because we've kind of mentioned lobbying a couple of times. And that's a term that we throw around a lot here at ARMA because it's really a large part of our purpose. Um, but I'm sure there's some people in our audience who, of course, have probably come in contact with the term, but maybe don't know, um, you know, don't have as deep of an understanding as to just what that means. Can you just give us a very high level overview of what lobbying is in a nutshell? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I think lobbying is sometimes seen as a dirty word. Um, there's a very negative connotation to the term lobbyist, but it's really just an advocate. It's it's a voice for your interest. And I mean, every single interest group has a lobbyist of some kind in some capacity. Um, and if they're if they're not, they're they're trying to find a way to get one because that's how you you affect change. Um, is to have a voice down at the government, um, making sure that your issues are heard. So lobbying really is taking the issues that are important to one group and making sure that policymakers are aware of those arguments. We have a citizen legislature there. We have one doctor, um, but we have business owners and teachers and stay at 
home moms, I mean, they, they run the gamut of, of professional and personal experiences, but they're by and large not healthcare experts. So it's our job to make sure that they understand these issues. And it's the same for any industry, whether you are advocating for environmental issues or business issues or technology or any, any of the different sectors. And if I can touch on that. So in my experience, a lot of people associate lobbying with a lot of, you know, backdoor dealings and giving out money. And that's not necessarily a case. A lot of what Amanda and I do for lobbying work is we send formal communications to our legislators, host days at the Capitol. We had, we joined forces with the Arizona Nursing Association and other associations to promote the healthcare workforce bill that was ultimately passed in the budget as well. So there's a lot more to advocating than just passing around money back and forth to legislators and political action committees too. That's such a good point. I do think a lot of people um, have in their mind that lobbying and kind of backdoor dealing is synonymous, which is just pretty far from the truth, at least in our uh, corner of the world, right? We do a lot of our lobbying so publicly, right? With events and formal letters um, and all of the likes. So that's such a good point to make. And I think a good clarification for the audience as well. Yeah. Everything we do is public. I mean, we have to report the amount of hours that we spend lobbying. We have to report any money that we spend in the course of lobbying. Um, All of the donations that that RMPAC makes is public record and actually quite easy to look up. So, I mean, I think a discussion on the role of money in politics is very valid and interesting and one that I absolutely love to have, you know, but the idea that this there's something sinister going on is, is really unfair, at least on Arizona. Mm-hmm. Well, you mentioned RMPAC, which just for those listening who um, maybe haven't had uh, the interaction with RMPAC, RMPAC is the Arizona Medical Association's Political Action Committee, so the Arizona uh, Medical Political Action Committee. And if you are a physician um, and you're interested in supporting candidates who support physicians, I'll just put in a shameless plug here that you should definitely go check RMPAC out um, and consider a contribution because it goes a long way um, in supporting the practice of medicine in Arizona. So you can do that by going to www.armpack.org and we'll link that in the description below. Uh, So thank you for establishing this background and sort of setting the stage of what this budget process looks like and all the players involved. So we know that ARMA is the largest physician-led organization in the state of Arizona. And so we know that they're going to have a voice at, at this table. But what exactly does that look like? What is is ARMA's role in the budget process? ARMA's role in the budget process is to understand the issues that are impacting our our physicians, first and foremost. Um, So we do a lot of communications and outreach to try and understand what's going on in the community and figure out ways that we can be helpful. Um, So once we've identified those different needs in the community, we work with uh, stakeholders down at the legislature to get those addressed um, through funding solutions. So then what do you look at as a priority for ARMA? How do you, how do you sort of make the decision of, of what you want to push for every year? There are a multitude of issues that always come to us in the advocacy department, um, whether it's a scope of practice issue or it's a tiering issue with the insurance company and everything in between. The way we prioritize it is seeing what 
more so impacts across multiple specialties rather than maybe an effect towards one specialty in particular, or maybe picking priorities that have a bigger impact maybe on a national level versus just a state level. So we kind of prioritize our legislative agenda based off of those kind of criteria. So then why is it essential for ARMA to be participating here? Uh, why is it important for physicians in particular to have a, have a seat at the table when it comes to the budget? Well, if you don't take your seat at the table, somebody else will. And you're probably not going to be happy with what their decision is. Um, it's incredibly important to have your voice heard. And if you're not um, if you're not speaking up for what your needs are, the legislature doesn't know. They're like, as I've said before, this is a citizen legislature. They don't know that we have, for example, a maternity desert and a lack of obstetricians in our state, and we need to fund more positions to address that. They don't know that we have students graduating from our five wonderful medical schools with no residency spots to go um, do their training at in our state. They're not born knowing these things, and it's our job to make sure that they understand it. So, you know, if, if you're not at the table, you're on the table. You know, I think a, a great example of that, you know, can be seen both at the from a budget perspective and from other issues. You know, if we didn't speak up and make sure that physician, or I'm sorry, make sure that lawmakers understand uh, the impacts of some of the bills that are introduced, the landscape of healthcare in our state would look very, very different. Well, then I think this is a perfect time to then talk about. What, what happened this year preparing for the 2023 fiscal year budget? Let's talk a little bit more about how physicians were affected this year and even all the way down to their patients in the waiting room. I'd kick things off by saying this was a really great year for healthcare. The state was in a very fortunate position to have a $5 billion surplus. So a lot of fantastic new spending priorities were enacted that I think are going to have a huge significant impact on both physicians and their ability to practice as well as patient care. Would you like me to go into a couple of examples of that now, or you want to save that for later? We might get to that. I do have a quick follow-up question. So where does a surplus come from? Uh, how do we how do we get extra money? Well, <laughs> I, I mean, it's just a, a simple matter of more tax revenue is coming in than we've been spending over the last couple of years. When the pandemic hit, there was a general concern that it was going to absolutely plummet state budgets because of the loss in sales tax. But Fortunately, uh, a couple of years ago, Arizona enacted a change that uh, we are now collecting sales tax on online purchases. So all of that online shopping that all of us were doing throughout 2020 and 2021 was taxed. And that made a huge, significant, positive impact on the state's budget. Well, there you go. My Amazon purchases have made a difference. Yes. You're welcome, Arizona. <laughs> yes, you're welcome. You know, I know only because I've, you know, been here with ARMA for a while that the budget process, I think, if I'm correct, looked a little different this year just due to um, some things that happened in the courts, right, um, after the last session, kind of with inserting um, budget line items at the last minute. Am I correct? Can you guys kind of go through, you know, how this year's budget maybe looked a little different from last year's or at least the process? Yeah, there was a very interesting court decision that threw out provisions of last year's budget because lawmakers were putting policy 
items into the budget. Um, and the budget is not supposed to have policy in it. And uh, previously, that was a really clever way for um, people to get things in to law last minute if they couldn't get it through the legislature in conventional ways. You know, as a, as a tactic, it's it's a double-edged sword. It was at times very helpful to sneak policy into the burbs, but it can also be a very bad thing. So um, there were several uh, anti-public health measures dealing with masking and vaccines and, and mask mandates around the state that were put into the budget at the last minute in uh, the 2021 legislative session. And then the courts ended up tossing those out because they violated the single subject law. So now the legislature is back to their best behavior for not putting policy in the budget. That's in many ways great news because you don't have to worry about bad things showing up at the last minute. But it also made the budget process a lot more difficult because sometimes leadership would use the carrot of adding these policy items in the budget to get votes for the budget. And now they were not able to do that. So they had to get to the majority vote with just the spending package as the lure. Well, it seems it not only made it more difficult, but it made it longer. You know, although we didn't maybe hit the record number of days for session this year, we got somewhat close. Am I correct? And, you know, the budget wasn't signed by Governor Ducey until I think it was June 29th, correct? So mm -hmm. it seems that it's really kind of lengthened the process maybe just a little bit as they try to get everything wrapped up before the budget is really started. Yeah, absolutely. It was a lot more difficult to get to a majority vote on this because of that inability to put policy in the budget. And then also just the fact that we had this $5 billion sur surplus made, made things so much more complicated. There is about a third of the legislature that felt like that money should be sent back to the taxpayer. There's about a third of the legislature that felt like we should, you know, full steam ahead, spend, spend, spend. And then there's about a third in the middle. So how you find a majority when you're split up like that is just a very difficult task. And I think that's really why things took so long. And in the legislature, too, where the legislature was sitting was the majority vote. It has to have 31 votes in the House, 16 votes in the Senate, and then a signature by the governor. And it makes it extremely more difficult when you have exactly 31 Republicans um, in the uh, House, and then you have the 16 Republicans in the Senate as well. So it only takes one vote in each chamber to kill any bill. So negotiations also took longer because the parties really needed to unify to make sure that they have the votes to get the budget as well, or they would have had to have um, gone to the other side of the aisle, which this year they did very well in that most of the chambers in both the House and the Senate ended up voting for the uh, budget package this year. Yes, a, bi a bipartisan budget, correct? Overwhelmingly, which is good to see the unification Absolutely. there at the state capitol. You know, now we kind of let's let's dive into the more specifics. You know, what are the key takeaways from this budget? I guess first overall, because outside of even healthcare, there were some great things for for Arizona and its residents. But then, you know, really honing in on healthcare wise, what was included that'll just be making such a key difference for our doctors and for their patients. So great question about what's in the budget package. There, as Amanda alluded to earlier in um, kind of our discussion, 
there were a lot of great healthcare wins for the physician community this year. This year specifically, though, um, a couple of items that I do want to mention that I feel that are kind of very big wins for Arizona was a $10 million increase to the fee schedule rate for the Access uh, Global Obstetrics Package. Because of that $10 million increase, it brought down a 88% federal match to heavily raise our fee schedule rate for our OBGYN providers through Access. Another big win that we had for our healthcare community this year was they expanded Access coverage for women postpartum for up to a year. So originally it was 60 days and now women who are trying to receive postpartum coverage is now covered for an entire year, which is great for our mothers in our community. Another item that was also a big win was providing up to 10 hours of access coverage for diabetes self-management training, giving the ability for those on access who need the diabetes management training to get the necessary training they need in order to self-manage, and then they don't have to keep going back and trying to get the right course of treatment to manage their diabetes, that they can eventually learn more so on their own and get the proper training it is to take care of themselves and manage their diabetes to the fullest extent. So those are um, just a couple of healthcare wins that we really had. Uh, I guess the final one that I would have to say, the healthcare workforce funding bill. But specifically in this healthcare workforce funding bill, if we're focused on the physician community aspect of it, is our preceptor grant program. So it was given $500 million across three years to provide preceptor grant programs. You know, this workforce funding um, is so timely just with everything that COVID kind of shone a light on and as people are kind of getting back to the workforce. Um, and so can you guys just quickly define what a preceptorship is? Yeah, a, a preceptorship is a clinical internship that a medical student can do. Um, they're paired with a practicing physician and then they get one-on-one -on -one experience and training while they're still in medical school really valuable opportunity. Yes, really valuable opportunity for them and supplements, um, you know, medical education in the state, which will thereby improve um, the workforce in our state in years to come. From ARMA's point of view and for physicians and patients, you know, what are some things that we have our eyes set on um, in the future and in the next budget? You know, what are some items that we didn't quite get to this year, but we would really like to be in next year's budget? Well, not to brag, but we had a really good year. <laughs> um, we got a lot done this year. To be perfectly honest, typically budget um, budget items are a one to three year process. The first year, you're kind of building support and building knowledge about your issue. The second year, maybe you make a real push and you miss. And then maybe the third year, you get it through the finish line. And um, a lot of these issues, um, the, for example, the um, funding for OBGYN increases on access, that was our first year pushing for that. And, and that was done quickly. So if you would have asked me, I would have said a couple of months ago, I would have said like, oh, well, you know, it's going to be a couple years on this one because it's a heavy lift. Um, but that was fortunately finished up this year. So I think 
for looking ahead to the fiscal year 2023-2024 budget, we're going to be working with the physician community and seeing where the holes are, seeing what needs to be addressed. Um, I think a really obvious area is always access coverage. Um, either expanding people's ability to um, qualify for access or um, expanding the things that are covered under access. Uh, a lot was cut in the 2009 recession era. So restoring those cuts and, and even expanding upon them is something that I think would be a top priority. Um, reimbursement rates are always going to be a huge issue for physicians in a state where you have, I mean, I think like 40% of our population is on access. Um, having really healthy reimbursement rates is incredibly important. Um, and then on, on that same vein, we're always going to be pushing for funding for graduate medical education spots. Um, I think that's something where the work will probably just never be done, given the uh, growth that our state has seen over the last decade and is expected to see over the next 20 years. Um, a little bit has been done over the last few years, but there's so much more that the state of Arizona can do to ensure that our medical students have a place to go in our state when they complete their training. There's a lot of data to show that um, people end up practicing where they do their residency. So if we want to solve the physician shortage, we need to start funding opportunities. Well, the bar is set high for next year's budget, that's for sure. Um, this budget was, I think, definitely a home run. I feel like for ARMA, we got a lot of what we wanted. Um, and so if anyone wants to learn more about the budget and what was included, we'll include a link below to ARMA's uh, recap of the budget and everything that got put in there in case you're interested. Um, but for now, we will say goodbye to our wonderful guests. And I just want to thank them again for all the wonderful work they do on behalf of physicians and their patients. Um, ARMA, it really is the number one voice for physicians in the state and is thereby um, also working to protect those patients in our state. So uh, we're going to keep the good work rolling. But for now, we'll say Say bye to Amanda and Aaron, um, but I'm sure you'll see them on a future episode, so stay tuned for that. And you guys can say goodbye if you want. <laughs> goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Who are you waving at, Aaron? <laughs> you guys, I, I don't know. <laughs> I just I wanted to be like goodbye. I just felt like the need to wave. I don't know.